It's finally 2021, and to celebrate, we're offering a New Year's special. Annual memberships are now available at patreon.com slash CFBWinningEdge. By joining us as an annual member, you will save 16%, which is like getting two months for free. We're also offering Tier 2 access to Tier 1 annual members. Help support this podcast, keep it ad-free, and help us fund 2021 updates, improvements, and new projects by becoming an annual member at patreon.com slash CFBWinningEdge. Welcome back, everybody. College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition is back. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I am joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen, at CFB Winning Edge for him on the Twitter machine, and also Xavier Trish. Follow him on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And uh, not much news. This is kind of, we had the signing day. Uh, we've had most of the coaching stuff. Happened. So this is what we would call the doldrums, even though there's always stuff going on. I mean, with 130 programs, uh, there are all there's always going to be some story, some news, something happening. So, uh, Nick, it, it, does this does this calming down of the news? Does it make you nervous or do you actually <laughs> enjoy it because you can focus on uh, getting some work done? Yeah, I mean, the, the, this time of the year, oddly enough, is among my busier times. I've, I've got some uh, writing assignments a couple of weeks to get through, and then I've got a, a schedule that I'm trying to keep as far as getting all of our updates and our uh, FBS team profiles, you know, changeover from 2020 to 2021, adding some uh, new information to those this year, and just sort of going through trying to you know, scour to get all the uh, information I can as far as what seniors are coming back for that extra year of eligibility and, and who's, you know, who's staying, who's going, all, all that good stuff. We still uh, won't have official lists necessarily until early March as to who might be taking that extra time. And uh, so it's a, a little bit of a mess because, you know, not every team has their roster updated. We, we get some spring rosters, but uh, the last time I, I checked, there were, you know, three in the SEC and, and uh, it's just sort of, you know, it, it's a little bit of a busy time trying to get all the, the ducks in a row. It, it, of course, feels like the college football season is so far away, but it also feels like there's this sort of mountain of uh, information that, that kind of have to, to, you know, chip away at little by little. So there's, there's certainly... Uh, things going on. Doldrums is not necessarily a word I would use, uh, but <laughs> but I, I do understand there's, and, and in some ways, kind of good that we're not having to deal with, you know, top line, big time news, at least this week. Who knows what will happen uh, by the time we get together again. Yeah, Xavier, are you, uh, do you enjoy the, the doldrums, the downtime, or are you more like, uh, just give me news, give me something? Yeah, I'm more like, give me something. I don't, you know, we have our finger on the post of college football every week. And like you said, 
is it really down times? I mean, outside of there not being any games or recruiting, everything else is still going on. Um, and, and from from coaches to we'll talk about in a second, new ads to players, and now with the new transfer portal, it's like free agency for college football. So you know that's added a whole new element that we didn't have, you know, four or five years ago. Yeah, I mean the transfer portal is you that makes it more uh, crazy than anything. Honestly, I felt like the biggest news today was Roto World changing their name. Uh, you know, Roto World changed their name to NBC Sports Edge. So. Uh, that was uh, huge to me. I woke up and I'm like, why am I getting tweets from this thing I've never heard of? What is this? And uh, come to find out that th this plan has been in the works for a while. So, uh, But we do have a little bit of news. So we'll dive in on that before uh, the, the meat of today is going to be talking about wide receiver transfers, uh, the wide receivers that are leaving and off to the NFL and tight ends. So pass catchers that are uh, on their way out or moving to new programs here. But um, in the meantime, UCF has hired a new athletic director, bringing in uh, Terry Mohajer in from Arkansas State. Uh, the move means the Knights will soon move forward in their head coaching search, Nick. And uh, he Mohajer had uh, recently hired Butch Jones for the Red Wolves. He also brought in Brian Harston and Blake Anderson to Jonesboro. Um, Ole Miss uh, OC Jeff Lebby, who joined the Rebels after a stint at UCF, has support from the players uh, and is expecting to be the leading candidate. What would you think about that hire? And is there anyone else that you would think that uh, is in the running here? Or have we heard any other type of rumors? Uh, well, now that now that everything is official and they do have a, an AD hire, we can. Uh, there's certainly, of course, been speculation for weeks as soon as Josh Heupel left, you know, who, who would want this job. And that list is very, very long. It's uh, basically a, a, an excellent opportunity for whoever will have an opportunity, you know, whoever will be able to uh, step in and, and take over a lot of talent, a, a rabid fan base, huge alumni base. Uh, UCF, there's a, a lot to like about that job. They just didn't have an athletic director in place. And, and it's, uh, you know, a little more difficult to, to hire a head coach when you don't have an athletic director. So they've had to kind of take their time a little bit. But now that that hire is in place and uh, and uh, Mahajer is is somebody who has hired some, you know, really good coaches, as you mentioned, and, and uh, has had uh, a, a quite a bit of success uh, in that role. And, and it will be interesting to see who he uh, ends up going with. Levy is the name I've heard the most and he's somebody who uh you know right after Heupel uh took the took the Tennessee job players were coming out immediately wanting you know Levy to to come back and he's somebody who has uh a lot of experience as you know in in some really exciting offensive systems uh has been with Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss you know this past year and and uh really is kind of a, a rising star as far as offensive football goes and, and kind of fits the mold of what they've had recently at UCF with Scott Frost, with Heupel, uh, explosive offenses, you know, fast pace, getting the ball out, getting into playmakers and scoring a lot of points. And so, you know, from that perspective, it, it makes a lot of sense. He has experience there at the school, has had success there. So on paper, seems like maybe the most likely uh, choice. But, you know, uh, Mahajra, I'm sure – like every athletic director and ha having just gone through this exercise, what a couple of months ago, uh, I'm sure he had 
a, a list of guys that he would love to talk to and, and guys that he did talk to when he was leading up to Arkansas State. Maybe there were some higher profile guys higher on the list than Butch Jones that just weren't interested maybe in a Sunbelt job, but were, uh, you know, or would be intrigued by uh, one of the elite G5 jobs in the country and one of the few you know, G5 programs that over the past several years we've mentioned, hey, if somebody could make a run at a playoff spot, you know, that, that UCF is is on that very short list. So it would be a great first-time head coaching opportunity for Levy. Uh, would be a great opportunity for a lot of, you know, young and up-and-comers in the profession. I'm sure there are some, uh, you know, guys that are, are coming off having had bigger jobs in the past who might be free agents right now or looking for another chance to get back in who would, would absolutely love to have this job. So Levy seems to be, you know, the, the, the primary name, at least from what I've, I've seen early on, but I'm sure the list is, is very long of, of people who are interested and, and then of also uh, people that Mohadra would, would like to speak to about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it would be weird if they brought in like, a defensive guru or something, you know what I mean? Because we've seen UCF have this unbelievably explosive offense over the last, you know, five, six years, Xavier. I mean, uh, seems like Lebby is kind of the perfect fit. I'm sure, like Nick said, there's got to be other candidates, but it's hard to see. It's hard to see them not going with a uh, offensive coach, right? You would think so, right? You know, this is UCF we're talking about here. But, but at the same time, do they decide to kind of go the other way? And, and focus on defense and just understanding that maybe we have offense down. So let's focus on the other side of the football for a second. I don't personally think that that would happen. I think I'm right with Nick. I think I'm right on with you, Nick and you. I think they'll go offensive. And I think going to go get a Kiffin disciple is a really good idea to do. We all know that Kiffin, for all his shortcomings, can coach an offense. And so I think going to get a, a Kiffin disciple like this would be really nice uh, for UCF. And I think that would mean the least amount of drop-off from this year to next year, especially offensively. Uh, but th this guy, and I think it's so funny because when he was with Arkansas State, he did amazing things with Arkansas State. Uh, you know, he not only did he, he – for one, he likes to clap back on Twitter. I don't know if you guys <laughs> saw this. Uh, you know, uh, UCF posted – or a, a UCF uh, beat writer posted, like, the 10 things to know about the new UCF AD – and there's a there, there's a tweet here of him going back at, at an Arizona at an Arizona State Arkansas State fan a disgruntled Arkansas State fan uh, on Twitter a couple of months ago uh, while he was there he, he there's videos of him doing pushups after Arkansas State scored touchdowns uh, I mean this is a guy who's going to be as involved as he could possibly be with all of the kids at UCF with all of the departments as well just to uh, to hit on that a little bit he hired including the two football coaches. The three football coaches while at Arkansas State. He also hired the men's golf coach, women's soccer, women's basketball, volleyball, men's basketball twice. And so this is a guy who, and all of them have gone on to be, you know, some belt all conference coaches. So this is a guy who knows what he's doing from uh, from a hiring standpoint. So I think UCF is in great hands. Um, he was able to do big things at Florida Atlantic at two. He kind of brought them into, uh, you know, the 21st century. Uh, he was there as an associate AD from 2004 to 2011. So he was there for that. This is a guy who knows what he's doing. And so I think UCF got a hell of a hire here and we can only see what happens from here. Yeah, I mean, I like that. I like someone who's involved in all that stuff. And it sounds like he's not going to be sitting on his hands either. No. He said hi hired a new basketball coach twice mm -hmm. in there. So if there's not success early, uh, you're going to be on notice with my eyes. So uh, that is very, very interesting to hear. A couple other uh, 
coaching news and notes here. Iowa State head coach Matt Campbell has agreed to an extension through 2028, uh, which is kind of crazy. It seems like every offseason, Matt Campbell gets another extension and yeah. yet another one here. Uh, you know, the dude has been linked to all kinds of jobs, exactly. not only in college football, but also in, uh, you know, also in the NFL as well. So uh, we'll see how long he ends up at Iowa State. I know all the Iowa State fans are kind of, you know, we'll just we'll just take it until he's gone. You know, just as long as he's here, we're cheering for him. We're rooting for him. And we hope no one takes him. But I, I think they kind of see the writing on the wall that eventually he'll I would assume that he just takes an NFL job. Yeah, and I someone think offers it to him. Yeah. Matt Rule is the name that comes that I feels like he's exactly like Matt Rule, Joe Brady. He'll be gone in a couple of years. So I would say enjoy him while he's there. Yeah, I mean, Nick, would you say the the same type of deal? Just enjoy him while he's there, or uh, are you trying to like cement your legacy in Iowa State and <laughs> uh, you know turn them into one of the bigger programs moving forward? Uh, I I would. Uh, I, I think it's probably smart not to get too tied to any coach, especially uh, one that's gotten interest from the NFL. I, I I'm a little bit surprised that he. Uh, you know, that Iowa State was able to hold on to him this offseason. I thought there was maybe a better than uh, 50% chance that he would end up in the NFL after this year. But they've got a pretty special group coming back. So I wasn't uh, super surprised that he didn't leave for another college job. I, I, he seems really happy there. Everything I've read, you know, sounds like he and his family are, are uh, really, uh, you know, happy to be there and and uh unless a big time you know ohio state type job came up again it, it doesn't necessarily seem like there are very many that would uh cause him to want to leave he seems content to build it at iowa state and, and i do think that there's something to be said for coming into a program where they've had little to no you know long-term success historically I mean, this past season at Iowa State was the best season in program history, uh, which is kind of remarkable to think that one top 10 finish uh, is the best you know season in, in uh, program history. And they've got an opportunity to be even better in 2021. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think that there's something to be said for you have an opportunity to take a program not only to the next level, but to, you know, really build it into uh, something that, that they've never seen in, you know, for that school. And, and, you know, it's the kind of job where eventually he could end up if he stayed for, you know, a couple of decades, they become a consistent conference title contender, maybe, you know, make a playoff run every once in a while, you know, the, that, the statue. That, oh, not, I mean, <laughs> you know, put his name on the field, put his name on the stadium. I mean, I, I remember, thinking Dan Mullen could have done that at, at Mississippi State had he, you know, really wanted to. He was he had them uh, on a trajectory of something that they'd never had uh, in Starkville, that level of, of success and, and uh, consistent success. Well, Iowa State's moving in that direction as well. He's already, I think, the second, uh, you know, all-time, second in, in uh, wins all-time there at the program. So uh, they he has an opportunity to, to just – absolutely be the face of that program for as long as he wants to be. And he seems like the kind of guy that's not necessarily in a hurry uh, would only leave for that perfect other job. And it seems like maybe 
that happened for Mullen and who knows when it'll happen for Campbell. But uh, I, I agree. Enjoy him while you've got him because people are going to be coming and, and trying to take him away. But Iowa State is, you know, doing their part to, to keep him happy with these contract extensions. And, you know, they're certainly, uh, you know, it's paying off on the field. And, and I'm really excited about Iowa State, you know, this upcoming season. Uh, the the another uh, coaching move was or extension I should say is that uh, Tony Elliott got an extension, uh, getting over two million bucks as an assistant to stay at Clemson, and he got extended through twenty twenty five, and he had been tied to a couple jobs here, yeah. and you could really see his value in that game uh, for Clemson against Ohio State. He had to miss it because of COVID protocols, I believe it was, and. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, we saw the first couple scripted drives for Clemson work very well. And then after that, it kind of all fell apart. So uh, it seems like Tony Elliott is a huge part of uh, what they do at Clemson. And it must be it must be nice to be able to wrap him up. Right, Nick? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, Clemson's had incredible uh, you know, able to keep assistance for a, a long, long time. And, and it took a really long time for Jeff Scott to move on to his first head coaching opportunity at UCF this past season. Uh, Elliot comes in, the offense is just sort of, you know, clicking along the same way. Brent Venables has been there for so long. Uh, but absolutely, I think you're right. He, he, you know, we got to, to really see his value uh, when he wasn't available at that game and, and just sort of a stark change in the way uh, Clemson, you know, just really couldn't. <laughs> really couldn't keep it uh, together after after that early drive. So uh, you know, two million dollar club is uh, I guess not as rare as it as it once was for assistance. But you know, he's there, and and uh, so far he's earned it. And uh, again, keep him happy, and it'll make it difficult to leave unless that perfect job comes along. Uh, whether you know to be a head coach in a in a good spot, or I know he, it sounded like he got some. Uh, interest from some NFL teams as well. So uh, he's he's certainly somebody who has uh, got big things ahead and in the meantime getting paid really, really well uh, to be the architect of one of the best offenses in, in college football. Yeah, I mean, the, the contract extension is nice, Xavier, but do you think this is something where, uh, you know, Elliot's going to get an ex- uh, a, a job offer a- as soon as the season's over and maybe maybe we're looking a little too far into this extension? Yes and yes. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think that in both ways, he could absolutely leave. Um, you know, whether it's an NFL job or actual head coaching position, he could absolutely leave this year uh, after the season is over. But at the same time, we've been talking about Brett Venable possibly leaving for I don't know how long. So I don't know. Maybe it's the, it's the water that they're drinking up there in Clemson that keeps them there. But, you know, well, obviously $2 million, $2 million doesn't hurt either. But, I, I, you know, I really don't know if he's ready to leave just yet. You know, typically – I think uh, when I think of uh, coordinators leaving, I typically feel like they'll leave when they feel like the next year's team isn't going to be as good or maybe there's a change at the quarterback position or, you know, something where they can leave off of a good note wh- where they made their mark, their quarterback is gone, and then they're gone. So I thought, you know, if any year the leave was going to be this year. Trevor's leaving. It's a brand-new quarterback next season. You know, he can leave, and there's no downside to what he's done at, at his time in Clemson. But, no, you know, deciding to stay, stick around for the for this year tells me that maybe he decides, maybe I got two or three more years here. Let's see what DJ can do in the next couple of years for me, and then I'll leave. I, I'll give him three years max. I'll say that. Okay. Yeah, I, I 
Yeah, I, I think there's definitely a cap on Tony Elliott. As yeah. long as Clemson uh, keeps finding success, he's going to get a job I mean, that is, uh, you know, uh, a, a head coaching job somewhere that is paying a lot more. I mean, let's so. say they, they, they up it. You know, who knows? In three years, Clemson might look at Venable and him and go, you want $5 million a year? I mean, at this yeah. rate. Maybe Dabo's been talked into the NFL at that point. Maybe, maybe he just takes over. Who knows? Yeah. These schools make so much money, they could give him $5 million a year <laughs> if they wanted to. Yeah, they absolutely could. Uh, and no one would be surprised. It is always funny seeing that, like, you know, who is the the highest paid government employee in your state? And they're almost always, always football yeah. coaches. You know, it's uh, it's kind of crazy. But, um, you know, we were talking about how it's the off season for a lot of these schools and it's the doldrums and all that stuff. But uh, idle hands. Uh, sometimes uh, cause some issues. And we definitely had some of those crop up this week. Washington State quarterback Jaden Delora was arrested under suspicion of a DUI, and he has been suspended indefinitely from the Cougars. Uh, Houston defensive lineman uh, Chizidozi Nwakanu, uh was suspended amid an assault investigation. Not great there. And then Indiana starting defensive back Jalen Williams was also recently arrested. Didn't see what the cause of that one was. But, uh, you know, these are the first of many. We're going to get, you know, the not all going to be this dramatic and bad, hopefully. But uh, there are going to be suspensions and, uh, you know, college kids being college kids on, on occasion. And uh, this is an unfortunate thing that we have to deal with. And then uh, we have to kind of mark these players down as, you know, even if they do get back with their programs, they're going to at least be suspended a game or two to start the season. Right, Nick? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it certainly looks that way. And, and it's certainly unfortunate. I think you're absolutely right. Idle hands. You know, now there are uh, obviously no practices, weekly game plan meetings, stuff like that. You know, there's there's just more opportunity, more time available for for guys, unfortunately, you know sometimes have a tendency to, to uh, get themselves in trouble this time of year. It'll continue through the summer. Hopefully it won't be, uh, you know, ho hopefully we won't have this uh, sort of discussion super often, but it, it's sure to crop up from time to time. And a couple of these guys you mentioned are were true freshmen this past year, showed some promise. Uh, Delora started as, you know, every game is a, a true freshman for Washington State. Brought in a grad transfer quarterback, Jared Garantano. You have to think that now Garantano is basically, you know, pencil him in to be the starter, not only because they brought in a, a experienced signal caller there, but you've had a true freshman quarterback who uh, showed some, uh, you know, showed some immaturity issues on the field, just, just as far as his ability to process the game, decision-making and things like that. And then, you know, obviously now off the field, uh, is, is dealing with a, a situation as well. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on these sort of things. We'll make adjustments as needed and, and we can expect that, uh, in, you know, probably in, in all three of these cases and a lot of other cases, as you said, will, uh, probably result in a little bit of playing time, at least, uh, being taken away early, early next year. And depending on the severity, I mean, it sounds like maybe at least one of these, there might be a uh, problem big enough that, that, you know, could, could end up getting uh, kicked out of school, kicked off the team. So hopefully again, those sort of things don't happen very often, but it's just sort of part of uh, the college football off season, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, Xavier, this is why during the pandemic, you know, uh, so many people learned how to make sourdough bread, right? And, and uh, everybody watched Tiger King and all these weird 
uh, hobbies that no one really needs to be a part of. So you don't get a Dewey, you know, you, you don't do anything you regret and, and all that stuff. But, it, you know, it, not everyone makes those correct decisions. Ninety nine percent make the right decisions. But, uh, you know, th this happens at every program, right? You know, I've always wondered when a kid gets a DUI on a college campus, what are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? Like <laughs> you are maximum, maximum. You're, you're first off, you're a, a collegiate athlete. Your cardio is in great shape. You're probably on campus getting drunk. You're max two and a half miles from your house. Probably. Why drive? Just walk. Yeah. Just well, anyone. You, I mean, you don't have to say that to college kids. That's anybody. Like, yeah. Uh, an Uber, a cab, uh, annoying Something. a friend, uh, you know, knocking on someone's door. It's all cheaper than a DUI. And you're all probably the only kids on campus right now. Just just walk <laughs> home. Right. Just go yeah. home. I, I, oh, let me hop in my vehicle. Go home. Ah, ah You know, but it's unfortunate. It's, yeah. it's very unfortunate because, once again, just dumb decisions. Hop on TikTok, guys. Put the bottle <laughs> down and hop on TikTok. I promise you. It, it's not going to get you in trouble with the university unless you're doing just ridiculous things. But, you know, it's unfortunate for these guys. But hopefully, you know, for, for the ones who have the DI, DUI, will, will serve their time and come back to the teams. Uh, and, and for the one with the assault charge, we'll see. I, we don't know everything coming from that as of right now. Uh, but hopefully it's not as bad as we might think it is. Yeah, I mean, hopefully these guys get everything straightened out and back on track and all that good stuff. But, uh, you know, it's not the doldrums for everyone, by the way. We actually have college football, football. starting this Saturday uh, where we're going to get, uh, who is it? It's uh, Tarleton versus McNeese State. Uh, Tarleton State versus McNeese State. And, uh, you know, we're going to start getting some of these FCS games this spring. So are these going to be televised on, like, ESPN and stuff, Nick? I think this one is on it's not ESPN a, Plus. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I was gonna say I thought I thought I saw something about that it was on a, a regional, you know, Fox Sports regional uh, network. But yeah, I bet I bet a lot of them. Uh, this seems to be the 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 only one this weekend. But there will be uh, several uh, the following week, a couple dozen at least, and, and I'm sure I'm sure there are uh, some. Networks out there, ESPN Plus, I, I imagine uh, as well, interested in in uh, broadcasting these games for sure, and and there will be interest. I mean, I saw that that uh, McNeese State is a two point favorite over Tarleton State uh, this this year, and I thought when you know back in July when it was looking like we might not get an FBS season during the fall, I, I thought that. You know, maybe we would dive deeper into spring uh, football. Maybe dive a little deeper into FCS type stuff. It didn't didn't work out that way. There there ended up being more than enough to to keep us occupied with the FBS. But uh, yeah, it's you know you're you're uh, you don't have anything better to do on a on a Saturday afternoon and can watch some Division One college football. It's uh, kind of a a silver lining to to this year, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm happy, Xavier, because I just bundled Hulu, ESPN Plus, and Disney Plus all together. Got to so do I it. Had, I, had, uh, I was getting Disney Plus free from Verizon for a year, and so I was paying just for Hulu, but then I started getting charged for Disney Plus, so I was like, why don't I just bundle all three of these? And I got ESPN Plus on top, so I'll be able to watch that game on Saturday. So I'm excited. Is Does that at least start... Uh, Tell me it doesn't start at like 8 a.m. my time. What I think, time it, I think, it was, I think it's at 
Oh, oh nice. Know. Okay. I think it's a night Af- game. Yeah, afternoon game for me, night game for you guys. I like that. So five thirty. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Five o'clock my time. I like that. See, that's that's a nice thing about uh, you know uh, living on the West Coast until uh, you know college football season actually rolls around and kickoffs at nine a.m. So yes. that I don't really like. So, uh, but uh, being a, the night owl that I am, very much uh, sleeping in person. But I, I had a uh, I had a gig on Sports Grid the last two days to fill in for some TV. So I had to be up at eight thirty and and do all my checks and everything at nine 30. So, uh, I told them I have a face for radio, but they still wanted me. So, uh, but, <laughs> but I had to make sure that the cats wouldn't jump up on the table. It's a whole production. So, uh, but, uh, today, uh, we are going to be talking about wide receivers and tight ends, uh, moving and, you know, there, Nick, we were talking about before the show started, you were taking a look at it and you were like, wow, really every team in football can use depth at wide receiver because, you know, just the more the game evolves, the more it evolves, the more pass catchers are more important every single year, it seems. And this is there is a long list of players either in the portal or who have already moved. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things that we've looked at the first two shows we did this with quarterbacks and, and running backs, uh, one of the questions that we've returned to is, you know, what, what schools are in need of, of these particular positions. And, and I was just sort of scrolling through, you know, our, our wide receiver rankings and looking at uh, our depth charts to see, you know, who's had the most people going into the NFL draft where, you know, some of the maybe power five schools a little lower than we might expect in, in our position and unit ratings. And there are are very few teams that probably wouldn't take uh, a, a quality wide receiver transfer right now. Uh, there are very few, you know, true number one receivers in college football. The I, I was trying to think of, you know, who would my preseason All-American wide receiver core, you know, who would that be? Yeah. Uh, just sort of based on on last year's, uh, you know, uh, returners. And, and, you know, I think David Bell at Purdue is, is high on the list. Chris Olave, of course, was sort of a, a surprise returnee. Uh, from the NFL draft. And, and then, you know, from that point, there, there are not very many big name guys. And, and there's plenty of opportunity, not only for playing time out there, but there are opportunities for guys to uh, become stars that were, you know, relative unknowns, at least to the casual college football fan uh, in 2020. I mean, there's, there's going to be a lot of turnover, a lot of new faces, and a lot of a lot of opportunities for guys to, to step up and become uh, big time playmakers. And, and like you said, wide receivers being uh, a bigger part of college football than ever before, really. I mean, just saw a receiver win the Heisman trophy. That uh, is a, a sign of the times I think. And, and, you know, speaking of Alabama, uh, I, I, they're the first team in our FBS team profiles because the SEC is our, our uh, first team listed in Alabama alphabetically. Uh, I was, just immediately struck like, Oh yeah. You know, Alabama not only uh, didn't have excellent depth in 2020, but loses Devonte Smith also loses Jalen Waddle. Uh, they, they could probably after, use after losing drugs and Judy the year before. Yeah, about exactly. exactly. Well, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, they, they brought in some talent, of course they always do recruiting wise, but that just sort of is the, the first team. I, I just took a casual look 
through who's coming back and and thought, wow, you know, if Alabama, they're, we're, we're starting to see early projections coming out. Then and Bill Connolly's SP Plus, they're the preseason number one, somewhat expectedly. Uh, if if they could use help in the transfer portal, and I don't think that that's an exaggeration. I think they absolutely could. Uh, you know, use somebody who could come in. There's potentially an opportunity for a transfer wide receiver to come in and start at Alabama if they wanted to go that way. Uh, for them to be at that level, you you just have to think that the majority of of teams in college football. Uh, are in a similar boat, so it's it's certainly an interesting position. I, I, for whatever reason, didn't necessarily expect it, but looking through the long list we've got here of, of transfers, the long list of guys who've made their intentions known, they're going to the NFL. Uh, wide receiver is is going to be uh, there. There's yeah, going to be going to be a lot of new faces uh, making names yeah, in, in 2021. There's an enormous amount of movement here. So, Xavier, I'll just start with you on, on this question. What, uh, Which guy going to a new school is going to make the biggest impact? And there's a ton here, and I know, Nick, you highlighted a lot of them. Uh, you know, t- tight end Eric Gilbert going from LSU to Florida. Although, are, do we know if he's going to be eligible to play this year or not? Not officially. I, I am uh, operating under the assumption that yeah, everybody fine. will be eligible. We, okay. we expect okay. – we expect the NCAA will uh, pass the one-time transfer rule before the 2021 season. Obviously, that is not a guarantee. Uh, and I think we mentioned briefly when the news broke about Gilbert transferring that there is still a rule on the books in the SEC um, about you, you can't transfer without sitting out a year within the conference. But I would I would be surprised if he's not able to play. It's not a guarantee, but... I, I I think we can just sort of expect everyone will be eligible. Right. Okay. So we have uh, Eric Gilbert going from LSU to Florida. We got Wanda Robinson going from Nebraska to Kentucky. Katie Nixon, Colorado to USC. Uh, Charleston Rambo going from Oklahoma to Miami. Shakur Pearson going from Western Kentucky to Ole Miss. There's a lot of talent moving around here. Do you have uh, who's the biggest impact that that you you think for pass catchers transferring this year? Yeah, I'm going to go with one person you didn't name. I'm going to go with Grant Calcaterra. I think that this is a guy, you know, he's transferring from Oklahoma to SMU. This is, was one hell of a productive guy at Oklahoma. I mean, this was a kid that was, I mean, he burst onto the scene, I believe, in Mark Andrews last year as kind of tight end number two. And as soon as Mark Andrews went to the league, he kind of just took that role and and really held solidified that for his time at Oklahoma. And when you look at SMU and you look at who the, the, the second – most used receiver was last year was their tight end Kyle Granson or Kylan Granson excuse me uh with 35 receptions last year for 536 yards and I would say that that's going to increase for Calcaterra because I mean this was a athletic specimen made uh, great catches while at Oklahoma and they're going to use him especially with SMU's air raid type system having great tight ends you can never have too many of them so to uh, push him out wide He's actually a serviceable blocker as well. I think he's going to have one heck of an impact at SMU. I think this is a guy – I'm not saying he's going to be a 1,000-yard receiver by any means, but 700 yards, eight touchdowns, I absolutely think is right around what he could do next year. And I think he's just going to explode at SMU and be one of my favorites as one of the top tight ends in the country coming out of the draft next year. It's just me. I, I mean, I, I th- did, did Calcaterra – didn't he – take a year off yep. because of medical stuff yeah mm-hmm. he medically retired concussions yep. and uh and also 
took a little bit of a winding path to SMU. It originally committed to Auburn, but they had the coaching change and he, he uh, backed away from that. And Xavier, first of all, a man after my own heart, uh, picking a tight end when there are literally yeah. dozens, maybe if not hundreds of wide receivers available to talk about first. Uh, but also, you know, SMU is a, is a great fit. And if, if Calcaterra is healthy, I absolutely agree. Uh, Did he steal your thunder, for, Nick? Uh, huge year. No, no. I mean, I, I wouldn't have gone there first, but I, I love it. It's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a very, it's a good fit. You know, again, if, if he's healthy, absolutely, I agree. He was, he was on pace to become one of the best tight ends in college football. Certainly, one of the most productive. Uh, and SMU has has really used the tight end well in recent years. So I think that's a, a perfect fit. Uh, Wondell Robinson is just a personal favorite of mine. Yeah. And, and yeah. I absolutely love his, uh, you know, the, the the ability to do multiple things as a receiver. Uh, he, he ranked in the top 20 nationally last year in receptions per game at Nebraska, yeah. but, but wanted to go uh, back home, you know, Kentucky. It is a little bit of an odd fit for a, a wide receiver. They have not – uh, had a ton of production at that position. They do have a new offensive coordinator come in, a guy with NFL uh, an NFL background, and, and uh, you know they also though have uh, the the previous offensive coordinator Eddie Grand did some unique things, getting uh, you know get your best players the football, and, and we saw that with Lynn Bowden who had to, to transition back to quarterback. You know, Wando Robinson is, has played running back. He, he took carries uh, out of the backfield at Nebraska. He contributes with special teams. I just think overall as a football player uh, is just one of my favorites, but also, uh, you know, is, is one of the, the more talented players that we've got on this list. Uh, one, really there, there are, there's one other, I think, high profile, the potential to be, you know, a number one guy next year on this list. That's probably Charleston Rambo going yep. from Oklahoma to Miami. Miami did, uh, you know, Mike Harley had a, uh, took a big step forward last year there, but uh, he has, I, I thought he could have been the, the, you know, go-to number one breakout guy at Oklahoma last year. And, and really mm-hmm. nobody uh, stepped up and, and took that role, uh, you know, but he, he certainly, showed promise and, and was a factor in that offense. Miami, you know, looking to take uh, a step forward, you know, Rambo could eventually be that number one guy uh, in, in, you know, 2021. We'll, we'll see, but there are a couple of really interesting fits. I thought uh, one, you missing Jacor Pearson going from Western Kentucky to Ole Miss a little bit sad about that because I am, really excited to see the offensive change, the new offense that got at Western Kentucky and Pearson had, uh, you know, had some productive seasons there with the Hilltoppers, but he's kind of a, a perfect fit to just slot in to the the spot that Elijah Moore left there in Oxford. And, and Elijah Moore was just absolutely incredible from a production standpoint. Uh, and, you know, Pearson can, can step into the slot and, and become a productive player immediately. Uh, so that one I think is a great fit. Katie Nixon going from Colorado to USC. USC lost mm-hmm. two big time receivers uh, to the NFL draft. I'm on St. Brown, uh, St. Brown and, and Tyler Vaughn's. I love Drake London. He's not necessarily, uh, you know, 
by any stretch, a speed guy. He's a big physical receiver. And Katie Nixon really does bring that uh, added element of speed. So I think he's going to come in, step in, be a day one starter and have an opportunity to, to just sort of add a, something extra that USC uh, could have used with, with some uh, transition there. And they've got other guys, you know, really, really highly talented uh, guys coming off of, of true freshman and retro freshman seasons there. But I think Nixon bringing that experience and bringing that speed element uh, is going to be big. And then at UCF, we, we will see what the uh, new offense looks like. If it's Jeff Levy, uh, who did coach, you know, Elijah Moore this past year at, at Ole Miss, um, and then just knowing that they've had some success at the receiver position with, with transfers. An interesting name is Brandon. Johnson going from Tennessee to UCF led Tennessee in receiving a couple of years ago and, and uh, somebody who uh, played at a, a, a pretty high level in, in the SEC. UCF has been a, a, an opportunity where guys can put up big, big numbers. I mean, two guys are headed to the NFL draft this year. Marlon Williams, Trey Nixon there from, from UCF did a lot of good things, both under Levy and uh, under Heupel alone this past year. So depending on who the head coach is, that, that, you know, could change my opinion, but kind of operating under the assumption that it will be, if not levy, something somewhat similar, carry, you know, some continuity and sort of uh, scheme. And, and certainly with Dylan Gabriel throwing the football, I, I think that's a name to watch as somebody who could step in and, and have a pretty big impact uh, for, for a, you know, potentially a conference contending UCF team next year. Xavier, uh, are there any wide receivers or tight ends that are moving from a P5 school to uh, a G5 school that you think are going to make a huge impact for this year? Can I give a reverse? Sure, give a like reverse. A G- okay, I love EJ Jenkins coming out of St. Francis, an FCS program, and going to South Carolina. Uh, this is a kid uber productive at the at the Division two at the FCS level. And I understand that typically that may not – you know, appease too many fans. Oh, he played. The, he had three thousand yards at the FCS level. He, he's six foot eight. At the very least, he's going to get at least three to you know six targets a game, just purely based off of his height. I think this is a kid who, at the very least, can make a splash, especially going to South Carolina, a team that really needed help on the outside last year. I think he's a day one starter. I think he's a guy that they're going to use in an abundance due to his height. And his production level. This isn't just one of your, you know, run-of-the-mill kids who's just tall. I mean, he's been able to use his height and produce. And I think that he's going to take that. And I'm not saying he's going to have an amazing season at South Carolina. But, you know, if he goes for 650, 700 yards with that offense, I genuinely think that is a great move for him to go from division to an FC, uh, excuse me, FCS level to the Division One level into the SEC. And if he's able to translate that into 600, 700 yards, I think he's more than capable of doing it. And I can't wait to see him do it. Um, another name, and this isn't necessarily P5 to G5 that, uh, Nick, I don't think you mentioned. I love DJ Matthews going to Indiana. I, I absolutely love this move for him. I, I think that Indiana can use him in a multitude of ways. He's not a big guy, but he's about 5'10, 160 pounds. He's a guy that Florida State used a lot in motion. Uh, he was almost kind of a scat back type of guy. I think he's going to get to Indiana and they're going to just say, You're fast. And you're shifty. We're going to put you everywhere and give you the football as much as we possibly can. I think Indiana gets more talented on the outside, which is something that they needed last year. And I think that just only makes them 
better than what they were last year. So I really like those two uh, that I do, do not believe Nick uh, mentioned at all. Yeah, Nick, no, I – Go ahead. But, uh, I was going to say I agree. I mean, Matthews is is uh, uh, the according to his high school two four seven rating of the players on this list that are that are purely wide receivers. Uh, he is the highest rated player to transfer uh, in, in this cycle. So uh, he's definitely interesting, Xavier. I think uh, I, I think you've got a little bit of politician in you to be. Uh, Scott asked you a question, just completely pivot to, to let something you, else. Let me answer a completely different question. Yeah. <laughs> thank, you for, thank you for the question. Now, thank you, the, Governor Trish. Topic, but <laughs> uh, th- but, thank you uh, for your candid answer. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah. No, but I mean, um, it's, it's uh, from from that. I mean, I, I, I mentioned Brandon Johnson. There uh, is going from a, a P five to a G five. There are a couple of names that that jump out to me just a little bit. One team that I think does have uh, some depth that maybe others would be a little bit envious of at this point in the off season is Georgia. And Georgia ended up, you know, letting a couple of guys go uh, that just weren't, you know, weren't getting involved in. The offense won Matt Landers uh, headed to Toledo as a graduate transfer. Trey Blunt going to Old Dominion as a, a graduate transfer. Uh, Blunt specifically could be, you know, we talked about how much is, is changing there at Old Dominion uh, 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 last week when they were in part of our, our review series. Uh, he could be the number one receiver there in, in 2021, you know, Toledo's got more guys, but Matt Landers is somebody who came in, uh, has played at a high level is a talented guy, big, uh, big target could certainly have an impact at a, uh, a program in the Mac like Toledo. So there are, there are some, you know, some spots like that, that, that makes sense from a playing time standpoint, for sure, for some pretty talented guys who maybe didn't get an opportunity at that school and, and, uh, really could, you know, show what they could do at a, at a slightly lower level from a, a conference prestige standpoint. You mentioned that, and I'll give one more name to, to answer Scott's question. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I really like, and, I, and I'm going to be a, a little bit of a homer here, but Josias Cradell coming from UCF to GSU to Georgia State, I really like that move for him. I think, this, first off, he's a Columbus, Georgia kid, so he's coming back home. Uh, this is a guy who is going to be, was, according to his 247 rating, was a high three-star, almost a four-star, almost. Uh, and I think that with Georgia State last year, the one thing that the one problem that they did have was size in their receiving core. Sam Pinkney was pretty much the only guy on that receiving core that was six foot plus. Uh, and now they're getting another guy who can go up and get it. Quad Brown gets another toy in the arsenal to use. And I think that's really good for him and the way that we use the offense down here at Georgia State that, you know, two big guys, if they're both able to get go up and go get the football. We saw what Sam Pinkney was able to do last year. He exploded. Uh, in last year's season going for 800 and uh, 800 and some change. And I think almost double digit touchdowns and now giving quad Brown going into his sophomore year, more talent on the outside is just going to do more for that offense. And I can't wait to see what, how he's able to translate uh, for Georgia state. What about us as far as statistical seasons goes, Xavier, if you had to pick one of these transfers to have the best numbers of anybody, who would you pick? That's easy. We haven't named him just, I think because it's, because he's kind of the obvious choice here, but Art Gilbert, if he's able to play right away, you can only imagine what he's going to do at Florida in his first year. Uh, you know, they're going to lean on him. That receiving core has been white 
over the last two years, really. I mean, they lo they lose Grimes, they lose Pitts, they lose Kadarius Tony, uh, they lost Van Jefferson and more than the year before. This receiving core is going to lean on the most talented player in it, and right now that is Gilbert by a long shot. I genuinely think that he can have the best statistical season of any of these receivers. Breaking on a thousand yards, I don't think is a stretch for him at all. I I just think that that's how many touches and how many uh, targets he'll have per game. Which is he if he makes the if he makes the catches per game, easily easily a guy that can get to low nine hundreds, maybe even a thousand yards this season. Nick, same question for you as far as just flat out numbers go. Who would you pick uh, moving schools to have the best numbers so far? Uh so the. The first name I think that jumps out to me, uh, Mississippi State is, a, is an offense that, in theory, should be able to put up a lot of yards, and, and there should be plenty of targets, you know, plenty of, of receptions to go around. So maybe somebody like Makai Polk, who uh, left Cal and, and uh, signed with Mississippi State because Osiris Mitchell is, is off to the NFL, Tyro Shavers, it didn't uh, work out. They, they did have... Uh, you know, they, they did have some some success, had a true freshman last year that really stepped up and put up some good numbers in Jaden Wally. But, uh, you know, the, the football is going to be <laughs> up every single play uh, in the air. And, and so maybe, you know, Makai Polk, somebody can like that and come in and, and uh, uh, become potentially a, a number one receiver next year. I'm, I'm tempted to go with somebody maybe at, at Western Kentucky uh, because I just think that that offense is, is going to be among uh, the leaders in passing in, in uh, 2021. But there are, they brought in so many guys, including, you know, three transfers from uh, Houston Baptist at the FCS level where the offensive coordinator, where the new quarterback uh, Bailey Zappi came from. I, I just don't know exactly how to, uh, how they're going to structure uh, that that receiving core, but uh, two other names intrigue me that, that we also uh, have yet to mention. Uh, Nakeem Johnson is going from Syracuse to Kent State. wasn't overly productive at Syracuse, but that Kent State offense. I mean, they led the nation in score. He didn't play nearly as many games as Alabama, uh, but Dustin Crum's coming back, quarterback, uh, and Isaiah uh, McCoy is off to the NFL draft early. They're, they're top wide out there. So you're bringing in a P5 transfer, uh, smaller guy, 5'8", 170. But, you know, I, I expect him to be a big, big component in that offense moving forward. And then a, another name, uh, you know, Xavier brought up uh, one FCS transfer, EJ Jenkins, probably the, the bigger name just from, uh, you know, a guy who was an All-American at a premier FCS program. Uh, Samori Toure from, from Montana in 2019, last year he, he played, obviously they didn't have a 2020 uh, fall season, but had 87 receptions, 1,495 yards, 13 touchdowns for Montana. Uh, we already mentioned Wondell Robinson is gone. He was, you know, far and away the leading receiver at Nebraska. Nebraska, not a, you know, prolific passing offense, but Wondell Robinson was the only player to have uh, more than 20 receptions last year. He had 51. Uh, they only bring back one guy who had double digit catches last year in, in Austin Allen. They had a, a freshman, uh, Xavier Betts, who 
uh, I have highlighted as, as purple. There seems to be a little bit of uh, uncertainty as to what exactly his situation is headed into 2021. If he's back, they'll have two players with double digit catches, one receiver, one tight end. But there's plenty of opportunity for a guy like Toure to come in and, and be the go-to number one guy. And we expected Omar Manning might be uh, that guy last year and just wasn't able, I think, you know, from an injury standpoint to, to get on the field as a, a Juco transfer. But, you know, somebody who, who's come in and had such success at a, at the division one level, uh, and, and having a, a just huge, huge year, all American season in, in 2019. And, and he's a, you know, he's a big target. He's, he's somebody that, uh, Adrian Martinez is going to be able to, to look up and, and go to, uh, at 6'3 and, and 190. So I think, I think Toure is, is, uh, you know, Nebraska, we don't necessarily think system wise, but if he gets anywhere near the percentage of, of targets that Wondell Robinson got, then he has an opportunity, I think, just as in pure volume, uh, to to maybe be a guy that that ranks really highly among you know this group of transfers as far as just overall statistical production. Nick, now yeah, go ahead. Go I got ahead. one guy I want to I want to throw your way, and this is just because he had a really down twenty twenty, but he had a super explosive twenty nineteen. Uh, Joshua Youngblood from Kansas State. Mm. What was a first team freshman All American at in his first year? Won Big Twelve Special Teams Player of the Week twice. Finished first team All Big Twelve for all purpose uh, in 2019. He also first team All Big Twelve by the coaches in 2019. And now that he's transferring to Rutgers, do we see him have more of a bounce back to a 2019 season? Uh, or you know, and he was even a preseason All Big Twelve uh, for in 2020. So does he bounce back going to Rutgers? Rutgers is an interesting spot for him because Youngblood is, is uh, in my opinion, does have some value as a receiver, but more so, you know, was, was at his very best as a kick returner. And they have uh, Aaron Cruikshank, who is the same mm, way, yeah. uh, was was that, that type of guy there at, uh, you know, at, at Wisconsin, came in and, and you know, did, did – uh, some good things on on offense there for Rutgers as well, but Bo Melton is one of my absolute favorite receivers in, in college football. I think he's uh, vastly underrated, and, and last I checked, he was planning on coming back to Rutgers for another senior season. So mm-hmm. I think partly because Melton is there and, and is one of those rare, I think, you know, clear number one wideouts. Uh, that, that we'll have in, in 2021, but also because Youngblood's value to me is a little bit more on special teams and Crookshank is just as good, if not maybe even a little bit better. It might limit his opportunities, but but I do like that Rutgers is going out and saying, hey, we, we let's get uh, let's get playmakers as best we can. Let's get you know fast guys, guys that can score uh, when we get the football in their hands and develop some of these guys who maybe you know we're we're kick returner extraordinaire type guys at, at previous schools and be able to use them a little bit more uh, on offense. It's, it's an intriguing one. He's definitely somebody that caught my eye when I saw that he entered the transfer portal and then that he, that he ended up uh, picking Rutgers. Now uh, the guys that left early, uh, I mean, and we thought last year's NFL wide receiver draft class was strong, right? Mm-hmm. But, but this year we've got, 
Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, both out of Alabama, uh, Seth Williams, Anthony Schwartz out of Auburn, Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Toney, Jamar Chase and Terrace Marshall, Elijah Moore, Kenny Yeboa, Shai Smith, Frank Darby from ASU. Uh, you mentioned Amonra St. Brown and Tyler Vaughns from USC, Nick. Uh, Tylen Wallace, Rashad Bateman, Rondell Moore, Tamorian Terry, uh, Tutu Atwell, Brevin Jordan, Daz Newsom and Diami Brown from North Carolina, Dwayne Eskridge from uh, Western Michigan. I mean, there are an incredible amount of really good wide receivers that are going to be available in this draft in the NFL. Out of this group, Nick, who is most irreplaceable uh, to their team that's leaving? So uh, to to answer that question, most irreplaceable, I might – I mean, you know, Devontae Smith is, is probably <laughs> the is probably yeah. the we won the Heisman. It's hard really, to not pick him. You yeah. can really give, I mean, eighteen hundred and fifty one or eighteen fifty six yards and, and twenty three touchdowns. Yeah, I mean I, I would be silly not to mention him first. But another name that, that I was uh waiting, you know, hoping you might say uh, was Jonathan Adams at Arkansas oh, State. He yeah. had a yeah. just an absolutely huge year. Stepped in, you know, we weren't 100% sure this time last year. They had just lost, uh, you know, Kirk Merritt and Omar Bayless had such a huge year. I was a little bit uh, just assuming, having not paid a ton of attention to Arkansas State in 2019, that Adams was maybe a little bit of a system guy. They just threw so much, but he was incredibly, incredibly impressive, uh, super athletic, former basketball player. I think that he will be, he, he unfortunately suffered a, a injury at the end of the year might uh, make it a, a little bit difficult to, to capitalize on his, his draft stock as, as uh, much as I thought maybe he would, he would be able to. But I was super excited about Jonathan Adams and, and really looking forward to what he'll be able to do at the next level. Uh, but, you know, at at Auburn, I just I don't know what that offense is going to look like. I think, Seth Williams, I think Seth Williams is – going to be a better pro than he was a college player. And he was a pretty impressive college player at times. Uh, so that might be, you know, from, from just who are you going to be able to replace? Uh, that's going to be tricky. Pitts and Tony were maybe my best, my, my favorite combo of, of players to watch. Uh, LSU, they did get, you know, a, a just late season explosion from, uh, you know, a true freshman, Keishon Boutte. So that that will uh, make it a little bit easier. They they you know he he'll step in and, and be the go to guy there. So maybe that softens the blow a little bit. But Chase and Marshall are both you know, and they lost Racy McMath as well. So uh, there's you know this list is long, and it's there there are yeah. big time guys uh, to replace. North Carolina, you know, I mean, uh, as everybody's excited, Sam Howell's possibly in his his last season, but uh, not only as we talked about last week, just losing two of the the very best running backs in college football, two of the top receivers and, and one of the top receiver duos. So I mean, it's there uh, basically a lot of a lot of different correct answers. I think after you know the uh, obligatory uh, Devonte Smith. Uh, kind of have to say that first, but man, I mean, there's, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's hard, Xavier. I mean, look, Devonte Smith won the, the Heisman. So mm -hmm. uh, he's probably the most irreplaceable, but 
it might be the guys at the smaller schools. It might be Eskridge. You know what I mean? Uh, for, for Western Michigan, it might be Jalen Darden from North Texas. It might be guys like that. that are uh, going on to the next level that for their schools, they did so much that those might be the most irreplaceable guys. But if you had to pick one on this list, who would, who would you pick, pick as the most irreplaceable? You're going to make me go with one. <laughs> so I'm going to give you two. Um, uh, okay. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Governor. Uh, Governor Trish. It's got a, first guy that came to mind as soon as you started talking about smaller schools, Rondell Moore. I, yeah. he, he was Purdue's offense. Uh, just to give you an idea, he played three games last year. He had 35 receptions in three games. That is ridiculous. And that's, and that's receptions. That's not talking about how many targets he probably had in those three games either. You know, it was 114. Uh, yeah, you know, he, 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 probably had, <laughs> he probably did have 55 targets in that time frame, you know, and he was only able to, you know, grab 35. He had 114 in his breakout freshman year. If he doesn't get hurt in his sophomore year, he had two get his first two games that year. He had 114 yards and 220. This is a guy who was Purdue's offense. I mean, just to have it out when it comes to the receiving core and when it comes to their passing game, it was Rondell Moore and nobody else. For the most part, you know, 44, yeah. he had 44 targets. Going to <laughs> now, I will push back a little bit because David okay. Bell might be, I mean, I, I legitimate first team All-American preseason type guy, but Rondo Moore absolutely love. And, and when he was in the game, yeah, they went to him early, often as much as possible. And to stay with my short receiver theme, Tutu Atwell. I mean, this is a yeah. guy, once again, we talked about it last week with Javion Hawkins. Or was that last week? Yes. Well, last week with Javion Hawkins. That this is Louisville's offense was surrounded by Javion Hawkins and Tutu Atwell. When you came into a game, Hawkins Atwell. That was all. And I think he adds an extra uh, element because he was such a great return guy. You know, it, you return guys that good come around like once every like seven years. You know, Miami hasn't been able to find a Devin Hester product since. So, like, these kind of explosive receivers that can also be your retirement just don't come around often. And when they leave, you really feel the difference because you're looking for not only a receiver, but you're also looking for a brand-new returner on kickoff and punt. And that is that in itself is a huge uh, loss for them. So those two guys, you know, to go along with the theme that you were with, alluding to with these smaller schools, it's much harder for them to replace it. Yes, it's going to be tough for Alabama to replace Devontae Smith. Don't get me wrong. But they did replace Jerry Judy with Devontae Smith. So it's coming down the pipeline at some point, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like that you just mentioned Devin Hester, first of all, because what were you, 11, when he was when he was returning kicks uh, in the Super Bowl and stuff? And I also, uh, during Super Bowl week, I saw an interview with Tony Dungy, who uh, they said, why did you kick the ball to Hester to start that game? And he said, you know, we got uh, a nice speech from our, our team minister the <laughs> night before. Uh, you saw this? Yeah, yeah. yeah Xavier saw it. The, we got a, a nice speech from our uh, team minister the, the night before the game and said, we're not going to live in our fears and, and things like that. And we're not going to be afraid of this moment. And we're going to go out and seize it. So they kicked it right to him. And he took the opening kick all the way back for a touchdown. And I went, all right, that's it. We're not kicking to Hester anymore. That was it. We're done. Now I'm afraid of him, and we're going to live in those fears. So. He said he contacted the minister after the game, and he was like, I didn't mean kick to him. <laughs> Look, I know I said don't live in your fears, but I didn't mean I kick, didn't mean to, kick to, to Hester, yeah. right? Yeah, that, that's still a little insane. So uh, once again, we're going to be late on the second show this week. 
but uh, that's my fault. So apologies once again uh, for yeah. having to push us back. But uh, in this one, we're going from 110 to 101. So we are uh, slowly ending out these triple digits here. Uh, and we have some very interesting teams. I mean, you know, we were finding silver linings on a lot of the teams the last two weeks. So there's going to be way more silver linings uh, coming up in, in this week, even though Xavier is giggling at me right now. Uh, uh, you know, but but I think there's some good teams in here. Uh, we've got Arizona at 110, all the way up to North Texas at 101. So uh, there, there's some decent talent to talk about here. So uh, that is going to be on the next show, and that will be coming out uh, Friday afternoon. So late Friday, that one will pop up. But uh, that is going to wrap it up for us today. Remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. We will see you guys on Friday. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.